there's something in it that that you, you're drawn to and, and people that are of my um era will understand this is when polka dot door came on it when the door opened up and it was the crayon factory or it was the the factory on polka dot door i was riveted i could not you couldn't pull me away from watching that that's all i ever wanted to watch i loved that from a super young age and I've always loved any kind of, you know, let's make something, right? Some kind of production. I've just always been interested in that. You're listening to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. Hello and welcome to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, Brendan Sweeney joins me on the microphones as we discuss food manufacturing in Ontario with the new owner, well, relatively new owner, of Kingsway Foods in Mississauga, Christina Mack. Christina is currently the president, CEO, and owner of Kingsway Foods, a company founded in 1949. She purchased it back in 2021 after having spent 10 plus years as the chief operating officer slash chief financial officer at an insurance and financial services company, which she owned at the time. Before that, she spent more than five years at Maple Leaf Foods as a Six Sigma black belt in process engineering. And she also has a Bachelor of Science in chemical engineering from the University of Waterloo. Christina's and Kingsway's story is interesting. Her early work experience was focused around lean manufacturing processes and continuous process improvements. She left the manufacturing sector to purchase the above-mentioned insurance and financial services company, and now she's decided not only to go back to manufacturing, she's decided to purchase a manufacturing company, Kingsway Food. Why purchase Kingsway? Why now? What does she have planned? Well, the short answer is a lot. As mentioned, Kingsway Foods has a long history going back to 1949. And she talks about the previous owner and his history in some detail during the episode, so I won't bore you with too much of that here. Suffice to say that while the company always produced quality products, Christina could see that there was massive opportunity for growth. But Nick, this is a podcast about advanced manufacturing. You're telling me that food production is advanced manufacturing? Well, yes, other Nick, that's exactly what I'm saying. And thanks to people like Christina Mack and companies like Kingsway Foods, we will keep on making delicious food in Ontario for years to come. And just like that, we're back. We are chatting today with one and a half guests. My primary guest is Christina Mack from Kingsway Foods. Hello, Christina. Hello. How are you? I am well. Uh, and we're also being joined by Brendan Sweeney. Hello, Brendan. Nice to see you, Christina. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about food and beverage manufacturing in Ontario. And um, Christina, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on yourself and... Um, you know, how you ended up at, uh, at Kingsway. Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. So my background's a little bit varied. Um, I ended up taking a chemical engineering degree from Waterloo and, um, through that program, we have a fabulous co-op program. All of engineering is co-op. So I had the opportunity when I was, you know, in my early twenties to work at six different, um, sort of places and industries through that and was able to, to, to test out different areas. So some was manu- some are manufacturing, automotive manufacturing, nuclear, oil and gas. I actually ended up doing one term on the trading floor in downtown Toronto, which was really fun. Um, so it was really, really great for experience, but, um, you know, the process engineering degree was, was very helpful. Um, and it, it, I'm finding it very useful now. So came into school, went to work for Suncor 
and uh, was with them for a while. And uh, then ended up with Maple Leaf Foods, just happenstance that I ended up there and was in their Six Sigma program. So I was a process engineer with Six Sigma black belt training through Maple Leaf. And um, I have to give a shout out to Michael McCain for that program because they spent a lot of money training a huge army of us to go into their plants and uh, really do the lean continuous improvement um, processes on everything. And it, it was the focus was originally on the plants, but we ended up doing it in purchasing and marketing and finance and, and everywhere. So, but that mindset of continuous improvement and lean and um, just striving for, you know, to Six Sigma, which is, you know, very hard to actually achieve, but to get to that was, was a really fabulous learning. And I did that for a while. And then I ended up, um, I actually bought a financial business. And so went into business, not engineering, and really enjoyed that in actually building the business. But I missed manufacturing. I loved working on the floor with production folks and working on projects with them. It was just really where my, I knew that was, you know, when I get up early to, to hit the night shift, I loved doing that. I just knew that was my, my sort of passion and what I really enjoyed doing. So sold the financial business and uh, was like, ooh, too young to retire. I need to find something to do. <laughs> so I, uh, I'd started looking for a manufacturing business to buy. It didn't have to be food. I wasn't stuck on it being food. I just wanted manufacturing and found this listing for this ingredient company in Mississauga. Of course, there's not a lot of information when you find a listing like that and uh, met the owner. And it was a family business of his. His dad started the business 70 years ago in Mississauga. And the first question I asked him was, why don't your kids take this over? Like, this is a family business. What's going on? And Ralph is the nicest man on the planet. And just, he never got married. He didn't have kids. So Kingsway and his employees were his family. And people have been there 20, 30 years, seriously. Like it is a family. And he really wanted someone that would take care of his family. He wanted to sell it to someone who would take care of it. And so I, I lucked out on that one. And, um, we really got along well. We had similar philosophies and how we would treat employees and how we'd run a business. And uh, yeah, he sold me this fabulous manufacturing facility with amazing employees who have tons of experience. And uh, financially, it was not in great shape. But when I went through it and looked at the facility, it was a liquid batch processing uh, facility and great equipment. And I knew it had tons of potential. There was a lot of capacity in that plant, which is really hard to find. So not great for financials, but I, again, I knew there was potential there. So yeah, I ended up, uh, that was last August I found it. And with all the paperwork and COVID and some things that needed to happen, I took over and I walked in in April. So I've been there seven months. So very new. And uh, it has primarily been a, it's transitioned over the years, Kingsway. But when I took it over, it was really a, vitamin premix is what they make a liquid vitamin premix so we make and uh, that's the bulk of the business to be honest um, revenue wise not volume wise it's a very small volume and then the other side of the business is a retail dip business so an oil-based dip potato chip dip uh, which people probably know it's a dip dip a chip is the brand it's been around since the 70s and uh, a line of food service products so um, tzatziki and a sour cream alternative um, and a chive topping and, and a fruit dip, a sweet fruit dip, which is really good, but those go in to food service. So that's the business. It was hitting all three areas, um, you know, B2B and food service and retail. So I really liked that. That's how I ended up at Kingsway. And then when I got into Kingsway, I 
started to doing a little research and lo and behold, six months later, we are transforming it into really being a plant-based business. So getting out of the oil business, keeping the vitamins, because that is a very niche business that they have been doing for 25 years. And, and, uh, and it's something that is required and health Canada is regulating that that will continue to be something that is needed. Um, but I, we, we have um, worked on developing some really amazing um, oat-based products. And so that's, that's the trajectory of the business. So, and uh, it's all for the love of the equipment that we got there because it's just, it does have some really, really cool equipment that you just, you just don't walk in the door and find every place. So that's my, that's my story of how I got to Kingsway. That's an impressive story. And um, the fact that you say, you, you clearly have a passion for manufacturing. Your work experience, as I'm looking at it, it's varied, right? Yeah. You, you've had, you started in manufacturing, then you went into financial services, but you were really drawn back. What drew you back? What is it about manufacturing that drew you back? It, you know what? It really is. It's so funny. I, I talked to another gentleman this week because I'm looking, you know, at ex maybe expanding the team a little bit. And we, we had an agreement that it's almost a genetic thing. Not that my parents I came from that at all, but there's something in it that, that you, you're drawn to. And, and people that are of my um, era will understand this. When I was, and I've told this to my kids, it's such a funny story, or it's really a geeky story, is when Polka Dot Door came on, and I was a little kid, and I watched Polka Dot Door. When the door opened up, and it was the crayon factory, or it was the, the factory on Polka Dot Door, I was riveted. I could not, you couldn't pull me away from watching that. That's all I ever wanted to watch. I loved that from a super young age, and I've always loved any kind of, you know, let's make something, right? A, some kind of production. I've just always been interested in that. And uh, really for me, it's, it's, it's something really um, tangible that you actually can show that you've made. But when I actually worked in automotive and in the food industry, it was really the people that I loved working with. It was being with all everyone on the, on the line, the front line, they are the ones that know what's going on. They can tell you everything. And that environment I loved. I just loved doing the, the roles and getting in there and just working with people that who are real. And, and it's just a, it's an opportunity to, you know, to build something, but to work with a group of people that are, are different than an office setting. It's a completely different environment. And I'm just drawn to that. I just always have been. And um, I'm thrilled to be back in food. Wasn't, didn't have to be food. That's just ended up where it was. Um, but manufacturing itself, it's really the people in that environment. And because I find that the people that work there, that's what I've always found, is that they're just, you know, they're sort of salt of the earth people and really good hearted and hardworking. And uh, if you give them the right tools, they can do amazing things. And I love watching people do that. I love coaching people and showing them different tools and be like, hey, if we did this, we're going to get more yield. And, and the excitement that you get out of, out of that environment is so rewarding. So you're talking about giving people the tools they need. You also mentioned before some of the equipment um, that, that you guys are, are investing in. Can you give us a little bit, uh, tell us about the about that equipment. What's going on there? Yeah, so I, I don't want to give away too many of our secrets because we have some really cool pieces of equipment that allow us to make um, some products that because of the actual um, processing equipment, we can eliminate a lot of ingredients. So the physical or, you know, the actual yeah, physical processing of um, raw materials will allow us to, to not have to put in other things that people would have to put in to compensate for the fact that we have the equipment. So I can't give away too much of the equipment, but um, we're putting in a new bottling line. So that's been, um, as long as I get some grant money for that, that's, um, that's currently in the works. 
And uh, that will be really helpful. We have a, currently a packaging line and we do bottle um, by hand some of the equipment or some of the products because they're just, they're precious. And it's, again, I mentioned it's pretty low volume, but a something that's going to be a lot higher volume, we need an automatic feller and we need some auto cappers and, you know, auto labelers. So new, new bottling line going in, hopefully very, very soon. And, um, you know, if people, if people are familiar with, um, the dairy industry, it, it's really a mini dairy, essentially have a mini dairy, even though we don't process milk itself, that's sort of the equipment that I have. And that's the secret sauce that I found to make some really great, clean ingredient deck products for the market. And that's kind of the story we're interested in here, because it's, it's through using advanced technology and using that kind of stuff that we see those kinds of continuous improvements, which I believe you have some kind of experience with, don't you? How does your history with, with continuous improvement, I assume you've brought some of that with you in, yeah. in your new job. So tell us a little bit about what sorts of continuous improvements you're working on right now. This is a, as I mentioned before, it's a really, um, it's a plant that has, have had people there for a very long time, very different leadership style than I have come in with. I'm very um, transparent and open with everything. Um, I share costs and revenues with everybody because I think it's really important that people understand, you know, if we're throwing that out, that's what this cost. Or if we get another skid of that, this is what the revenue would be. Some of that was mind blowing to people. So that's just from a sort of from a, from a leadership perspective, I believe in transparency and sharing all of that. But what I've, they didn't have it. They didn't have a lot of tools. So we started with some really basic things. Yield was number one really didn't track yield, didn't look at yield. You know, people in manufacturing understand yield's pretty important. That's a pretty basic one. You need to understand that. And coming into that was able to bring in just some basic Weights and Measures Act regulations, which they didn't really know about or use. And when you don't understand what the regulations are and you don't understand process, um, that's hard to put in place. So not to totally bore you, but I am a super nerd. So I could just talk about this forever is if you can, (laughs) you can use weights and measures is a brilliant regulation for manufacturing, of course, because they understand that manufacturing is not a perfect science and there's a ton of variation in your process. When you actually measure things and get a, get your baseline of where you are. So you have to do that first is measuring everything, right? You need to understand your baseline. So it's a lot of data collection points. I was out there, you know, I think the first time that we were running one of the dip products, I was out there count, I counted a thousand containers and they were like, weighing a thousand containers. Like, what is this woman doing? Like, what is she doing? But I said, we need to understand like, what is our, what's our average weight? What are we doing? So we have three lanes in that line, in that packaging line. So I, you know, kept them separate and then did all the calculations for them, did the presentation and showed them. I said, okay, you guys need to know what our average weight is on each lane. Are they different between the lanes? Between lanes, is it different? Um, you know, what's the variation on each lane? So, so you need to understand when you're trying to implement something like a weights and measures, which is the continuous improvement piece, is if your process is out of control, meaning if your standard deviation of weights on a line, on a, a packaging lane, is really wide, like you have a huge standard deviation, it's going to be really hard to, you know, hit your weights and measures. So you're going to have to overfill everything because otherwise you're going to be in at risk of, of underfilling. If you have a really tight, really good control, meaning your standard deviation is really, really small, you can really dial in that weight. And so you know you're always going to be within a certain range. That was sort of mind-boggling, which is sort of basic manufacturing. But until that's taught and until 
a, you know, some basic stuff, right? Averages, standard deviation, process control variation. Those are all the basic concepts of, um, you know, manufacturing and process control and continuous improvement. So that was a really simple one that I took them through and we realized that, hey, we've got a ton of control on each lane. They're, each lane's a little different. So we have to set them a little different, but the control is really tight. So we could dial it in and, you know, we were, we saved, we actually got an extra skid of product out the door by just doing that, which is a lot, right? It was an extra 18 times 66, whatever that is that kind of, and then saying to them that represents this much, which on a dip is not much, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but, but just, just to show them, it was, it's one of those taking them through it and then being able to show the results of the work that we did and sort of having the light bulb go off. And then they can look at it and say, Oh, but we can do that also when we fill these pails and we fill these jugs and we fill these things. Yes. It's the same concept, right. Of understanding, you know, you can't change it until you know you're in perfect control. So that's the continuous improvement piece. That was one simple thing that we did coming in. There's a lot of other ones. There's a lot of tools in the Six Sigma toolbox that you can use. Like if you're going to do a root cause analysis on something, a good one, a proper one, there's tools you use, not just a, hey, what happened? <laughs> Which is what they would do. Like, hey, what happened? What? Why did we get this defect? Oh, because the temperature was too high. And that would be the answer and they would walk away and be done. But there's a, there's something to be do, said about doing a proper root cause, right? Use a fishbone and fishbone diagram and uh, taking them through that as a team is, uh, it's really interesting and, and eye-opening for them. So it's not just, it's continuous improvement, but there's so many elements to that, right? In terms of uh, an entire production facility, it's, it's years, it's years of work, but uh, that, I love that stuff, obviously. <laughs> I think it's uh, really interesting that you described the regulation as brilliant. Yes. And, and we're, I mean, we're in so, so often you hear that, you know, there, there's a narrative of over-regulation, but certainly some regulations are useful. Um, that one is very useful for manufacturing. Okay, it, very, yes. In general, I mean, what are your, seven months into the business, Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on you know, the um, regulatory environment in food? You know, I, it's a lot different in, in the industry that in currently the business that I'm in versus meat. So my, my, you know, decade of experience in meat, the regulations are a lot different, right? CFIA had an office in all the plants and they were there all the time. And that is an entirely different set of regulations. It needs to be that stringent, um, when you're working in a live chicken kill facility and a live hog kill facility, I mean, those are, they're there for a reason. Our products are actually very, they're, they're called low risk and they're low risk because they have a very low pH. And uh, we have really a, a process that I'm, I can't use the word pasteurize because we can't actually say it pasteurizes it, but essentially it does, it kills everything. So anything um, on that kill zone is it's gone. So very low risk. So in terms of the regulations for food, I, you know, I know them in terms, this is not my area. I'm, I'm an engineering background. Uh, that's why I have QA for the sort of the regulation pieces. Um, you know, I know there's nutritional labeling requirements and regulations and what we have to declare and, you know, those sorts of things. My mindset comes from less about the regulations, more about not that they're not there, but they're embedded into BRC. So we are a BRC certified facility. And so that 
all of those regulations get baked into that, right? So they are your food safety and your food uh, quality programs. And uh, if you're BRC certified or SQF or whatever it is, they're already there. So I don't find that they are personally, I know other food manufacturers may say that's, that's um, that maybe there's overkill, but I don't, they're there for a reason, right? They're there so that we are producing safe food for Canadians. And uh, if we're exporting to other countries, the last thing you want, and I am a tiny, tiny, tiny company is a recall, right? You do not want to be doing anything that's going to be producing, you know, unsafe um, food products for your consumer. That is just, unfortunately, they've had to come in and put the regulations in place because people don't do all the things they're supposed to be doing, right? They're not following all the rules and not doing, you know, allergen protocols properly. And they don't have HACCP plans and they don't have all of the things in place you should have. So as much as I'm not it's not my area of expertise. I, I do understand the importance of it and um, I'm fully supportive. And uh, yeah, the Weights and Measures Act is a, it's not a, you know, that's not a food safety one, but that's just a, that was a, that's a blessing to any manufacturer. If you don't use it, you should be using it. Brenda, did you have a follow-up? I do have a question about um, food service. And for those, for those who are um, less familiar with that means, um, tell us a bit about the food, the, 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 the food service portion of the food business. And, and would I be correct that this would not be, you would not, the food service business is different than the retail side. From, from a, from a production standpoint, there is no difference um, from a, from a HACCP plan or a quality um, assurance perspective, there is no difference. It's product and that we make exactly the same, you know, quality standards and whether we put it in a container that we're packaging to put on a grocery store shelf or packaging in a pail that's going to go to a restaurant, no different. And really that's what it is. So food service means it's going to go to Gordon Food Service or it's going to go to Cisco or Flanagan's, somebody that's going to pick up and take it to a restaurant. So they're larger, it's bulk or Costco, right? Something that's a bulk, um, bulk order. They're not little tubs of things. It's, it's just a larger order. But in terms of the product, I could make the dip and put it in a pail and sell it to food service. I could put the dip in a, you know, 227 gram container and put it on the shelf at Metro. So in that way, it's just really the packaging comes down to the packaging. How did COVID affect food service versus? Huge, huge, huge drop. And we're just starting to see that go up a little bit. So when I came in, they had already, you know, had the hit, right? So I'd already come in you know, well after COVID, um, more than a year after COVID had been in and the food service just, I mean, it just stopped, right? So um, it's starting to tick back up again. Um, We can see that in orders, but it's, it's, it's not where it was. The levels are not where they were. And even, even, you know, think about dips. So you would use dips at, you know, if you're going to have a party or a big gathering or whatever, that's when you're going to have those products. So even those you know, those volumes are down as well. So COVID for sure has impacted um, that side of the business. That's why I'm like, okay, we need to find something else to, right, to put put through this plant, um, this facility that we have, which is so great. We need to, we need to find another avenue. So yeah, it's not, um, I don't see that changing for a while. I know we think we're coming out of it, but man, I don't know. So um, yeah, it it definitely took a hit for sure. Mm -hmm. We yeah. get to go to a conference in like two weeks, eh, Nick? That's gonna really? be a, it's gonna be a thing, yeah. Like an in-person if, one? In person, yeah. Ooh, yeah. People. And, wow. Yeah. Wear masks. Yeah. Wear your mask. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know what if they'll have. I mean, but would this cr- create an opportunity now instead of a 
pail, you know, instead of shipping dip in larger containers, I mean, are there, you know, single, uh, single serving portions for food service? Will there be a, a, a transition there? That's a, that's a great point. And we have seen that actually with somebody, somebody that sells ice cream because we have a really cool oat based ice cream. That's delicious. And, um, and that's exactly what they said is we've gone to all these individual cups because people want that now, right? They don't want to be scooping out of a bigger container. They want individual sizes. So yeah, it's, that's possible is that that will be it. That will be a trend. You know, we could get into the whole discussion of supply right now and plastics and corrugated. And that, I mean, that whole supply issue is a whole other that everybody is facing. It's not, it's not, that's not unique to manufacturing. It's across the board, but it's a problem and it's continuing to be a problem. Um, I think it seems to be getting a little worse. Um, lead times are going from five weeks to 12 weeks all of a sudden and you know costs are going through the roof and some harder and harder to actually make any sort of profit on on uh, on products so I'm going to talk about culture for a minute here because it sounds like and I wasn't expecting to talk about this but your discussion about uh, when you came into the business you wanted to bring transparency you wanted to uh, install new equipment you wanted to show people the value of this versus that through conversations that I've had, we've had with com- with uh, with other stakeholders, other business owners, that issue of culture is an important one. And I'll give you an example. One of our previous guests talked about implementing Industry 4.0, new technologies, and he asked the question, hypo- you know, uh, metaphoric. What's the uh, hypothetically? Hypothetically, wow, that's hitting the cutting room floor. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. No, no, that makes me sound smart. Leave that one in. <laughs> sure, done. I'll leave it in. <laughs> So if you're installing new equipment, is that new equipment going to empower or is it going to intimidate your staff, Great right? Question. So that's how did you, because that's an intangible, right? And, and that's yeah. something that's very difficult to quantify, but it's so important. It is, yeah. What tips, tell us about that, that journey. Tell us about what tips you have for improving culture to accept this new stuff. So listen, I do not have the answer, the magic answer for that because it really comes down to, for me, it's always come down to anywhere I've ever gone as either an employee or an owner, gone in and spent the time upfront with people. So before you come in and make tons of changes, well, quite a few right at the start, but it's spending time so that people get to know that your intentions are the right ones and getting to know what people learn from people and understand, you know, where they think needs are and, and, um, really listening and actually not listening just to listen, but to actually put some of those into play. So developing that, that trust and that conversation is really important. So for me, that even is, is about just looping back a little bit is the whole food safety culture, which they talk about when they ought they, you know, they ask about this food safety culture and it's so nefarious. Like, what do you mean? Like, what, what, like, what is this food safety culture? That's really a, if you see something that's being done that you think is, you know, that you know is not GMPs or whatever, you need to call, you need to be comfortable to call it out and know you're not going to get, you know, pointed at or blamed or whatever. So developing that culture of, you know, being comfortable and open and honest and that you're not going to get in trouble and you're not going to get blamed and we're not going to, you know, hang you out to dry, that, that culture of trust was really important. So kind of did that first we haven't put the line in yet. So it's a great question. It's not something I've actually really thought about, but the part of it is, is all along. So everybody's been involved. It's a very small company in all of the product development of these products that are going to go on that new line. So everybody has been involved with the, like the tasting, the product development, the, you know, we're picking out what, you know, what people like, what they don't like. We've done, you know, things in the plant. 
And so people haven't been involved all the way along. So they feel more invested in it. And they actually don't just feel like it's happening over here and we have nothing to do with it because they've been so involved with it. And that's been very intentional when it comes in. It's, I, I do a lot of, I talk about it a lot, right? And it's ex- always exciting, right? Like this is coming in. And if I get the grant money, we're going to put this in and then we can do it automatically. And we're going to be able to put out truckloads, right? Like people are like, oh, truckloads, that's amazing. So it's just, it's really you know, if you aren't someone that gets excited by that, yeah, you're probably not getting excited by it. But if, but I have people that are excited by that. So they're in the right spot because I get excited about, you know, that kind of, you know, opportunity and, and uh, they feed off of that. So that's the, that's the environment. And that's, those are the people that I want to keep adding to the team. That is how we're going to deal with that. And it will be, it will be overwhelming because it's something new and it's new technology and it's all automated. So we won't need as many people, but what it's going to do is have more shifts and more volume to the plant and right. There's more stability in the work. So that's, that is more the approach is just that this is for the longevity and the viability of the business. And that's why we're doing it. And so coming at it from that point, and it's not just all of a sudden one day it shows up in the plant. Everyone knows we've been, I've been talking about this for months and months and months. And uh, that's, that's the way that I'm dealing with it, but I haven't actually thought about your question, but now I will. I'll think about that this weekend is, you know, have I missed something? And is there something I need to do to sort of address that issue? Cause you're right. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be intimidating for some people for sure. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I, yeah, absolutely. Cause these are the kinds of things that we like, these are the kinds of uh, challenges that a lot of our stakeholders are, are, I mean, you're not alone, right? This whole issue of culture, it's one of those intangible things, but it's so impactful and yet no one really knows, right? Like no one, like you said, no one's unlocked the secret sauce to immediately get everyone on board with culture. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like you're doing a lot because like you said, you walked in every day, you've been talking about this. Yep. Your employees know where you stand on this. I, I, I think you're doing the, I, I think you're on the right path from the sounds of it. I think so. But it's, but it's again, a, a um, that's my style. And that doesn't fit with everybody. That's not everybody loves that sort of style. Some people really gravitate to that. And other people are like, no, right. That's not, that's not what I like. And that's okay. Right. You need to know, um, you need to, to recognize that and know that as well. But um, that, that seemed to, I don't know, that's, that has been effective for me before is with big change, any, any big, scary um, technology change that has been the, that's been the way. And leading by example for me has always worked really well for employees. I'm going to continue to do that. You are a female business owner and manufacturing business owner. What experiences have you had? What challenges have you had with this? Because we've come to understand that it's a bit of a rarity. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's rare. Um, it was always, I've always worked in only male dominated fields. That's not new for me at all. Um, there were much, there were many challenges in my twenties and thirties in that, in that world. Look, there will continue to be. It's a question that I ask if I'm hiring anybody is, do you have a problem with, you know, female being the, you know, your boss give me an example of a time that you've, you know, dealt with that. Cause that's not for everybody. Definitely being the leader helps in that situation. I will say I've been, Oh, I've been, you know, on the other side and that's not as easy. I can, I can control the culture a little bit that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not normal. 
Did you say that you have to, you've asked future employees if they're okay? Really? Yes. If they're okay with a, with a, with a woman boss? Yes. Wow. Yes. So I have a, a, there's a fabulous group that I was part of and I went out of it. It was, um, it's called Dovetail Community and it's all women entrepreneurs. They're not Etsy stores. You have to have at least seven figures revenue. Like they're, they're like, they're big businesses, right? Like some people in this group are like intimidating. They're huge all around, mostly North America, but globally. And so I learned a lot from this group of women. And somebody made a great recommendation. They said, because I was like, oh my God, I posted a job and there's 150 resumes. I can't get through this. How do I do this? They said, you send out a Google doc to, you know, like the top, whatever, and put like a, you know, put something in it that they're going to, you know, not going to catch or you want them to catch like something. So, you know, do they catch up on detail or whatever? And they said, ask some questions, like ask like sort of five, you know, questions that you would ask in an interview, whatever it weeds sort of weeds people out, right. Is what are their answers? Those are the questions that I would be asking anyway. That's one of them. I put it in because that for me is pretty visible, right? That's not something if I am hiring a plant manager, they may not want to, I had a plant manager as a student, a male plant manager say to me, I don't want a woman in my plant. Like that's kind of the environment that I've come from. Right. So I've been, I've lived the other side. Now I'm like, are you okay that your boss is a woman? <laughs> you need to be okay with that because you know, it's, it's not for everybody. It's that's, I think it's less like that now, but I do make that I do make it front and center. It's, it's not normal. <laughs> so at this point, um, Brenda, did you have any additional questions you wanted to ask in the co-packing department or? Oh, co-packing. Oh. Co-packing. Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for those of us um, who are less familiar with, with, with the food industry, in a nutshell, uh, co-packing, uh, private labels, white labels. Um, yep. I mean, w- w- what is this and why does it exist? So I do not profess to be an expert in this at all. I did mention that I'd be happy to private label for somebody. And that's very true. So it was something I heard. Why does it exist? It exists because, you know, like a great example, and everyone will understand President's Choice, right? Every, every President's Choice package, you know, product that you see, you know, the name brand beside it is making it for President's Choice, right? That's, that's private label. So they are making it and they're putting, you know, the company's label on their product. That's just, that's what it is. So co-packing the same thing, co-packing or white label or private label, and they call it something else. They call it private brand. I think, I think they call it private branded, uh, blah, 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 does. So really that's what it is. So if you want to just be a producer, and produce the product and you don't need a, you don't want to market it. You don't want to have your own label on it. You don't want to, you know, have a, have a brand. You can put anybody's label on it. And there's a lot of products that some, um, cause retailers are big, right? Like look at the, look at the presence trades is a huge line, right? And uh, farm boy is huge. They probably, you know, everyone there, their stuff's all private labeled. Um, Metro has a line. Look at, they all, you, everyone knows those labels, right? Selection. What's the Sobeys line? I should know that. I don't know the Sobeys Our line. compliments. There you go. Is that it? I think so. I yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are big and they don't own manufacturing facilities, right? So they need people that will say, yeah, we'll do that. And we'll, you know, put your label on it. Those are always discounted, but, um, but you, then you've got a contract with them. So there's guaranteed volumes and, and uh, it's really attractive to a lot of manufacturers. A lot of manufacturers, if they have a product line, they don't want a private label for anybody else because they have the market cornered. But that's not the case for me. I will private label for anybody. <laughs> I don't need my name on it. I just want to make it, <laughs> right? I mean, so for something, uh, ice cream, salad yeah. dressing, where there's yeah. just, I mean, there are um, 
dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, of, of brands. It, it just uh, no one has the market cornered, right. so it's a great way. And no one has the market cornered, and everyone wants a, a little bit of it. That's right. That's um, right. And I mean, a great way I, I imagine for uh, any producer to achieve scale. It is, and and really, that's what it's about, right? So uh, you have a facility you want to you want to fill your plant, right? You want to be at no capacity. You want to you know be completely maxed out. So that's how you get it. It's private label, and. Um, you know, if you, if you don't have your own marketing house and uh, team, it's a great way to get product out the door. And uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of other um, hoops that you jump through for those companies. They have their own, you know, standards and the, all the paperwork and everything. But in the end, that is ultimately a, a great avenue to go with private label. So I'm all for it. Does that allow a producer like yourself to focus on what you're really good at Yes. And then allow someone who might otherwise say, listen, I've got some great ideas. I've got a great recipe. Yes. I, I don't know how to, I don't have a factory. I, um, so it's a nice dovetail, right? It is. It's a, okay. you, you nailed it. Absolutely. Um, I just found, I won't say their name, but I just got connected with a company and it, it would be, if we actually get to our second date, we talked about a second date, we're hoping we get there. It'll be a perfect marriage because they do from the door, all of the marketing, they, that's what their, that's what their expertise is. And they said, we just want to pair with people who love their equipment and just want to produce. And that's me. Right. So it's, it's finding the right mix of people. And then you're right. The, the step behind that is, Hey, we've got, we've got this great, there's a lot of little places right a lot of a lot of little entrepreneurs that have we've got this recipe and we want to do it but we don't have the facility to make it so um i believe it was the u of t actually contacted me in the summer because they have a program for um entrepreneurs they wanted to rent the, they said you know would you have a facility you could rent and you, we could do plant trials i'm like yes absolutely right i've got capacity for sure so because a plant trial is you've got to run it through a plant to see if it'll work you could do it in the lab all day long, but you've got to put it through machines to see because it is totally different. And uh, that's what people are lacking. So I have this facility that's available to do that. And that's not right now. That's it's uh, I don't want to be in that position that I have all the capacity, but I do. I'm hoping that's not forever, but it's hard, really hard to find somebody that can help you scale it. Right. So take it from the shell, you know, the bench to actually a plant and put it on a skid and get it out the door. So hopefully people listen to this. They want to call. Give me a call. <laughs> so I, I, we're rounding the corner here on time, and uh, I skipped lunch today. So anytime we're talking about food, I'm just I'm not doing well here. <laughs> I'll have to send you some products. I'll have to oh, send please, you some tables. Please but flip me your address, and we'll we'll put some stuff in the mail and send you some send you some goodies for sure. Done, done. Good. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Brendan, thank you for making time to join us today as well. Your insights are always helpful and you always ask the questions that I never think to ask. Thanks okay, to well, both of you. And you. Uh, yeah, we will uh, hopefully, so hopefully we will be uh, chatting again in the future. Okay, thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much, Christina.